Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Stephen Edwards. Stephen is a coder since 94 and a nerd since birth. He's a former contributor to Wired.com and former TA for Siraj Raval's machine learning course. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me, Ben. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have some fun here talking about AI. So, my first question, though, before we jump into this, is how did you get started in programming? I got accepted into a magnet school when I was in ninth grade, and we got a computer that year. I lived in the middle of nowhere. One of my friends was a coder, and um, in ninth grade, the second semester of our keyboarding class was QBasic and Logo. Or logo and then QBasic, oh. and I just started programming at home because I had nothing better to do. It was <laughs> it was QBasic or math, and I figured QBasic had a better future. Nice, yeah. I've I've never heard of QBasic, but I guess that that's just a sign of how fast technology changes. Imagine Visual Basic, but way back when in DOS. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Works for me. Uh, what would you consider your first success as a programmer? Uh, BBS door games back in the day. Say, wait, say that again. You said BBS door games? Yeah, way back in the day. I have no, I have no idea what that is, man. Can you uh, enlighten me a little bit? <laughs> Imagine MMORPGs, but with dial-up modems. Okay. Like we're talking 2400 baud modems. Um, I was, there was a big popular game called Legend of the Red Dragon, or Lord for short. And I would write extensions for that. And I helped a local guy over there. He had a, um, a door game called Ice Chat. Or he had a door, it was just a um, two-way chat because you would call it on somebody's computer and then talk with them. Huh. And so I would help him with that. He's like, hey, can you help me with this? And it was local, so I went over and helped him out. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, – and, and- – it's all uh, been an, a wonderful experience since then, I guess. Many, many other successes, I'm sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. I was curious what fuels your desire to contribute to open source speech recognition projects? Um, I use Linux, and there, is, there are no good speech recognition things for Linux. Google um, Docs is about the best there is. But you can't really use that for coding or anything. Yeah. And for operating the computer, you, um, Dragon Dictate, back when I had a 133 megahertz computer, was kind of slow. <laughs> um, and I think it would be a lot faster now. Yeah. Some, some speech recognition similar to that. Because we have developed... The um, Google has some good voice recognition models that we can use and replicate. I think I might actually um, not release this, but just SSH into um, the Google Voice Assistant and copy their model and use it. Yeah. And, and uh, I guess the ultimate goal would be to control your computer. So kind of do more than just like word processing. Well, yeah, I type mostly in Emacs. Okay. Um, I live in Tmux and Emacs, basically. Um, 
and I code, but it would be nice to just be able to talk into it instead of having this hype with my mouth stick. Yeah, I could imagine that uh, any anything would be better, I guess. What what is the how, how does that work if you had to type in like complex symbols? Would it just be some sort of like LaTeX or how do you pronounce it? LaTeX or LaTeX? LaTeX. Yeah, it, would you would it be kind of a similar way of how they type out symbols in there or how does like how would you do like complex symbols, you think? What do you mean like complex symbols? Oh, uh, like speech to text complex symbols oh um you just you would use a recurrent neural network or a like an lstm or something like that okay and um you would probably add a transform architecture to the end of it and then you would translate what you hear into speech hmm okay Cool, man. Yeah. Typing. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see how the projects, uh, how, how it goes. So, uh, I'm curious also about what fuels your desire to generate every possible protein and release them under the MIT license. Because drugs are very expensive and mm-hmm. I would love to, um, help cure paralysis yeah. and every other disease known to man. Alzheimer's and I'm what they call a transhumanist. Okay. I believe that technology can enable us to live forever or in getting shot or something like that. Yeah. And I would like to help contribute to that goal. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. That's, I mean, it sounds like you got a little bit of like Robin hood going it, going on uh, Robin hood uh, mentality. I don't have so much Robin hood mentality. Like my school project, when I went to help educate the world. Yeah. Um, that does have a profit motive as well. But it will also help fund education. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some. We're going to touch on that here a little bit later uh, about the whole educational system. But uh, let me peel. I'll, I'll peel back the onion a little more before we get there. Okay. Sound good? <laughs> Cool, man. Yeah. So I actually wanted to talk about spaced, spaced repetition. I did, I've, I've never really heard of this before. And so I was doing some research for the interview and I was wondering how does spaced repetition brain hacking give you an unfair advantage when learning new topics? It just allows me to learn them more quickly because you know, when you're learning a new topic, some things stick with you more easily than others and spaced repetition shows you the topics you have difficulty with more often mm-hmm. and so it helps you learn it more efficiently hmm. it's like here it re- helps strengthen the neural connections in your brain okay that are weak yeah i actually am a little curious about this if you had any tips for someone who wanted to kind of implement spaced repetition, but if they, ha- if they don't have a lot of experience with it, like, could you help maybe get them started? Like if you go on the Anki website, a N K I. Okay. They have a lot of decks that you can use for free. Okay. They have a, and it's a free program, open source. A N K I. Um, yes. 
Okay. Um, I think they, I think it's honkyweb.net, but I could be wrong. If you Google it, honky, you'll find it. Okay, and you can, can you make your own decks? You can. Okay. And so it just helps you, um, enables you to just learn whatever topic you want. Hmm. What, what about like making the decks? Is there, is there some sort of strategy to how you compile those or? Uh, you just type in what works for you. If, if you're like, Ooh, like you're reading a book maybe. And you're like, Oh, here's a little nugget that I want to remember. Is that it's, it's as simple as that or leave it to yeah, me to complicate things. Okay. So no, it's okay. Here. You basically <laughs> take notes like, okay, this is going to take me a minute to wrap my head around. Okay. And you would just like form questions of how you would want to remember it. Okay. And, um, you put in the, you have the question, you have the answer, and then it judges you. And at the end of each card, it says, okay, was that a one, two, three, four, or five as far as difficulty remembering? That way it knows how long to, how long to delay showing it to you again. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Man, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this uh, learning method. It's kind of not traditional, right? Would you, would you call, or is that a fair statement, I guess? Yes. It's not well known. Um, it's very, it's very efficient and very effective and it gets kind of tedious in the beginning. So you have to stick with it because it's going to show you a lot of the cards. Like when I used it to learn Japanese, um, it would show me some of the same katakana and hiragana over and over, but it definitely helps me with learning to recognize characters since part of the, um, part of learning a foreign language like Japanese or Chinese or Korean is learning to write the symbols. And since I can't do that, it certainly helped me with the recognition component. Okay, crazy. Yeah, so, man, that's uh, that's kind of amazing. So you you learned a language that's kind of designed to be written without writing. Is that what I understand? I learned the basics of it. I have, okay. You have to learn to be considered um, competent. You have to know one thousand nine hundred forty-five characters, and they the Japanese children learn school children learn 1,006 characters in the first um, six years of schooling and along with the 192 characters of their basic alphabet. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, that's intense, man. I've never, I've never spent a day trying to learn that, but I can only imagine that uh, that's intense. What, what, why did you decide to do that? You just wanted to be eclectic and, learn something new or I was bored and I was thinking <laughs> I was going to the college of Charleston, a local college. And I was taking it just for computer science mm-hmm. while I was working, um, as a computer programmer. Yeah. Doing web development stuff, for people writing spiders and writing just, um, email management software and a few other backend things. Okay. 
And um, I was like, oh, let me go ahead and take the computer science course. So computer science courses they have. And um, it was very boring. Yeah. <laughs> they taught Java, Java 1.1. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is tedious. Huh. I won second place against a team of three um, in the ACM competition. What's ACM? Academic Computing Machinery, I believe. Okay. It's a um, nationwide and worldwide organization. You go to acm.org, and they have um, competitions, worldwide competitions. Okay. But we were just completely competing locally, and um, I scored one less. I got one less problem right than the winning team. Dang it. <laughs> I mean, I good job, or, or is that is – it, it's a good – or is it not good enough? Well, it's not good enough for me, but, mm -hmm. I mean, considering the way I type, how slowly I type, it's like, eh. Yeah, so actually, let's dig into that real quick. What, what's up with that? So you are typing with your mouth? Is that what I understand? Correct. Would you like me to demonstrate? Yeah, man. Sure, like – but um, if you go into Windows and the accessibility features, are you a yeah. Windows or a Mac guy? I'm a well, mainly Windows, I guess. If you go into the control panel and search for accessibility features, you will see something called sticky keys and mouse keys. And I use sticky sticky, sticky keys on Linux um, what do you what would you say uh, like uh, Mac Windows Linux who has who's better with accessibility you think Windows but they told me that my OEM copy of Windows was illegitimate and I had to buy a new copy in order to continue using it. So I switched to Linux. Okay. <laughs> you see, I grab this and I type. So what is that? What is that like um, when you're trying to write code? Is it like you're not, can you write like a lot of code really fast or is it really tedious and you're just super passionate about it? So you'll do whatever it takes or how, how does all that work? I am dedicated and bored. <laughs> um, no, it takes some time. Yeah. But in Emacs, one of the features I love about Emacs, um, besides org mode, is they have a, um, a few packages that once you type something once, you can easily choose it from a drop down menu. Yeah. And not type it again. 
or you can hit alt forward slash and it'll search for the most recent typing mm -hmm. of it. So it makes typing more the initially when you type things out, it's quicker, but let's say you use a Java type um function names and they're like thirty characters long. Yeah. Um <laughs> you know, it's okay to type that because just type in the first few characters and then alt slash. Yeah. Yeah, heck yeah. What, so where does Python fall in the ease of writing with accessibility, like your accessibility needs? Is there like a language that's easier to write? Lisp. Lisp. Okay. Uh, but I mean, they're all fairly easy. Okay. Python's not difficult. Yeah. Um, in Emacs, I hit control J and it goes down to the next lines further indented where it needs to be. So there's no real complication with it. Okay. Yeah. That I, I've just, uh, I had to ask, I guess I was a little curious there. So, um, cool, man. Well, I was wondering, uh, regarding the last question, I guess was spaced repetition. Is there anything overly difficult that a new person should avoid? Um, the difficult thing is learning how to judge your, um, like when you're judging how well you did one, two, three, four, five, getting that right. Mm. You know, let's say that you'll say it's too difficult. It'll show it to you more, more frequently, but then you just keep saying, okay, that was easy. That was easy. That was easy. Or you'll say, oh, that was easy. And so it'll take you, take you um, probably a few weeks to get into, like, okay, this is, a two will mean I'll see it again in 20 days. A one will mean I'll see it again tomorrow. Or a one again, one, one will mean I see it again in three months. A five will be I'm seeing it tomorrow. Okay. You know, one, it, it, it acclimates to each individual user. So yeah, that's not specific, but yeah, it kind of reminds me. I remember in the engineering program I did, they would, uh, there was some concept of, um, uh, like basically as a, like a motor would pump, you would kind of adjust, it would, it would adjust. And then it had a, uh, like the speeds would adjust. And then depending on what was going on downstream, it would kind of adjust and it had this, it had this um, mechanism to kind of reconcile like, Oh, I need to s slow down. I need to speed up. How fast do I speed up? How fast do I slow down? Try always trying to reach the set point that was constantly moving. Do you think that there's room for kind of technology with spaced repetition where, where maybe like, it's like kind of dialed in more to whatever the, the, cha the nature of the challenge is, or I don't know if I'm but articulating this question very well. With, you a with AI, if you had it set to where the input to the neuron was the length of time it took you to answer the question, that could be used. But really for a slow typist like me, it'd be difficult okay. to judge. But I mean, it could be done. Okay. Yeah. I just, I'm really fascinated with the, the topic. So thanks for bringing it up in the pre-interview, man. 
Oh, no problem. You're welcome. So, I think it's something that most that schools should use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's uh, well, I mean, let, we can talk about that right now. Actually, what is what is your view on that? Like, is there some if the incentives are there, is it just uh, just going against the grain with the status quo, and so therefore it'll never happen? Or what? What do you think's up with that? It's lack of familiarity and space repetition is um, not well known in America in general. Okay. I don't really know if there's a country where it is well known. It's science based though, right? Like it's not it some hokey thing. Yes. Yeah. Um it's based on the your neurons, the pathways becoming stronger to um have whatever like let's say I say lisp to you, what does that trigger in your mind? Yeah, I mean it it like a speeching impediment, I guess. But it could be a programming language. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so like it will help rewire the neurons in your brain to automatically think of whatever the correct thing is, correct answer is. So if you ha- hear like, who is Taraj Raval? You know, your mind will go somewhere. Whereas if there's a correct answer, you... um it'll help your brain rewire it to go there instead. Huh. So when you're learning new information, instead of being like WTF, it'll go straight to, oh, this is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's kind of, It sounds like a crazy brain hack. Like I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm going to try it out and I'll report back to you. It sounds pretty cool though. Yeah, it's definitely helpful. Yeah. Huh. That's cool, man. So I was curious, um, in the pre-interview, I had asked you, what is like a, like a non-negotiable thing for you in your daily life? And you said email. And, and I was curious, like, I mean, first of all, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> um, both. It's email is non, is non-negotiable for me because primarily I can't answer the phone. Okay. Um, and I have the Amazon Echo device, and I have the OK Google. Um, you'll hear her talk soon, maybe. Um, I have those devices, and neither of them will allow me to receive phone calls, even though I have Google Fi as my phone service. Okay. And I'm like, oh, my God, why can't they not have Fi to ring my okay, Google, my Google that so that I can answer it. Yeah. I mean, that would be the... I'm sorry, maybe I can do better if you ask a different way. <laughs> so she'll she'll uh, spy on you, but she won't help you answer your calls. Correct. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> even ring. I can easily say, you know, call whatever phone number, and that works. Okay. That's very helpful. Um, and Gmail has, or there's actually a website, hangouts.google.com, and you can have it as a sidebar in Gmail. Okay. Make phone calls, and so I usually use that, one of the two. Hmm. Okay, yeah. I was curious, uh, once, once you had mentioned that email was this non-negotiable, I was kind of curious, 
what you saw for the future of email? I mean, it's anybody's guess, but would you, if email was going to be replaced by something, what would you postulate that that might be? Neuralink. Neuralink. Um, just person to brain to brain interaction. Yeah. So that's quite a ways away, but that's my, what it might be is kind of what you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, there, I could, I could see possibly in the future us having like an internet type connection where we could easily say, go to, um, go to donaldtrump.com and us communicate with Donald Trump or whoever else. Huh? It's, it sounds crazy. I mean, if the, if the internet marketers got a hold of it would, I mean, that would just be insanity. We'd have to figure something out. Well, yeah, you I mean you you could obviously deny the calls. Yeah, and you could say only allow calls from this from this list, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's have an interesting. Oh, go ahead. Have you ever read the Shadowrun series of books? Uh huh. Oh God, it's great. Um, <laughs> Shadowrun, you said. Shadowrun. The movie Johnny Mnemonic is also good. Oh yeah, I've seen that one. That's like Keanu Reeves, like yeah. That's a crazy one where they're after like a like a chip in his brain or something, right? Yeah the um, the whole world is fictitious and imagined in his mind, and Chatterrun has technology like that. Okay. And that was definitely one of the it's one of the things that drives me. So I want to see like the neural interfaces to where I can actually just think and have the computer type out code and type out whatever I want. Man, productivity would go through the roof if you could type as fast as you could think. That'd be insane. Yeah. Dang, man. Well, yeah, I asked that question and I did not know. Like if somebody asked me that, I don't know how I would have dealt with it. So I think you did a good job. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so I was curious, uh, what is the world – what does the world look like with configuration management uh, being practiced? Basically, you just define what your configuration is for each server. You type in your server, the IPs and you run a program and it does all the configuration for you. Okay. It's like boilerplate. Like Ansible or something like that? Like or Ansible, what? yes. Okay. So that's a passion button for you then, I guess, is, is uh, leveraging working with Ansible or technology like that? Yes, because it just automates everything. Yeah. Because my typing isn't the fastest, so anything that I can use to automate is definitely big. Yeah. Dang. I, now I understand what you meant by your remark in the pre-interview form about automation being like everything, basically. Yeah, automation, like, less I have to do manually, I have to type out, Yeah, better. Um, SSH keys, love those. Yep. Because I can just type SSH to uh, my desktop IP when I'm on my laptop, and I can get log right in, no typing passwords or anything. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. You can have a strong password. Without having to worry about typing, typing it in more than once. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I I did a, an interview with a guy. Uh, it was probably six months ago or something like that. But uh, he one of his things was uh, he said if it's not automated, it's broken. <laughs> that's pretty much true. <laughs> so Andy also said that automators are going to be the last uh, the last people that have jobs. So yes. I think you're in the good. I think you're in a good spot there. <laughs> yes, the. Um the software uh, I wrote in my uh, startup that I had, I was able to generate 30,000 videos a day. Okay. Automatically. Do you care to uh, expand on that little knowledge bomb you just dropped there? Or <laughs> um, like, how, like, like, how does that work? Or like, cause this is content generation basically is, is basically, what, yes. Okay. That is one of my side projects that I'm still working on. <laughs> the uh, partner I had at the time, I, as I explained in the pre-interview, yeah, we had a falling out over, um, we had agreed early before he went into the startup accelerator to a 50, 50 deal. And then the investor wanted 10% of the company for $10 million. Um, I had the technology and he was like, okay, so here's the deal. I get um, my 45% up front and I leave. You get 45% over three years with a one-year cliff. And I'm like, that's a non-starter because I had to give the technology to him and I was unable to use it for my educational startup that I wanted to build. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a non-starter. Dang, that's that's screwy, man. Did you uh, – oh, actually, I have a question about that. Maybe now is the time to, to jump into it. But I was kind of war- uh, curious, what can we learn from your story on verbal agreements on software company partnerships? Have like – you can agree to everything verbally, but have everything in writing after you agree to it verbally to make sure there were no misunderstandings. Yeah. Like, do that prior to spending three months building the startup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... So, our man, there's just a lot of questions that come to mind there. Like you're, you're definitely like an entrepreneurial uh, person, I guess. So that's not your last endeavor or did that, Uh, or did that sour kind of your desire to, to do that sort of thing? Oh no, it didn't sour my desire because I mean, if you look at it, the reality is I'm going to have to move into a nursing home at some point in time. Okay. For a temporary thing. And that's, Anywhere from one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and Dang. so it's pricey. Um, yeah, and video creation will be my ticket out of here because I generated fifteen hundred videos in two hours for the for, for the um, startup competition. Yeah. Just to prove, like, a proof of concept. Yeah. And um, we ended up winning, but that failed. <laughs> and so if I can generate 1,500 videos in a couple hours, 
on eight servers, that's not that bad. Yeah, dang. And that generated, after two, two three months of being up, that generated $200 in income. So From like YouTube ads or what do you mean? YouTube ads, yeah. Okay. So if I can pump out 30,000 videos a day, that's 10.8 million videos a year. And I can generate enough money to pay 10 grand a month for a nursing home. Yeah. Dang, man, that's, that is, a, that's amazing. I don't, I don't even know how to respond to that. That sounds amazing. Is it GAN or like, what is the video content or kit? Is it too top secret to talk about? I don't know. The video content is just, I mean, there is a lot like the proteomics that I want to do. Yeah. The protein. I want to do um, like video overviews, kind of like fly throughs of the protein structure showing like, Oh, here's where a receptor could attach to and explain like, okay, here's a visual content, visual guide of each protein. Here's what Tylenol does. Here's where it binds. Here's the receptor it binds to. And here's how it activates. So I want to have like fully educational content. Yeah. For the money, I also want some entertainment content, but you what what was that you just said for the money you would what i want some fully some entertainment content as well. oh entertainment yeah i see what you're saying but dang man that's it just sounds great like i i don't think i've ever had like a 10 million dollar deal like pop up on my radar so like what does that what does that do to your mentality when you had like arguably this thing at your fingertips and then it kind of just vanished like I mean, you it still was, seem like a happy camper, but dang. It, it was um, like, okay, I have this in my fingertips, and I have to do this thing that, I, that he wants to do with it, even though he's leaving for three years, and I'm getting 45% of the company. Do I want to dedicate three years of myself to this thing that, like advertising. I don't want to do advertising. Yeah. I want to do content creation. Um, yeah. And it's like, do I do this and him walk away and me sit there with investors who don't know me and I don't know them and them not knowing my situation? Will yeah. they understand, you know, if a medical problem comes up? Yeah. And so I sat there for a week deciding or it was probably longer than that deciding do i do this do i not do i let him walk away with money or, and then take my chances or do i keep the technology for myself yeah deciding over the technology was how i would get my three-year um, deal mm. well it seems like you're uh confident enough that it makes it, it made like what the decision that you made is the best decision long-term. Maybe it, you don't get that instant gratification, but uh, it's not like all the opportunities are gone. Is that kind of what yeah. I'm hearing? Yeah. I mean, the con the opportunity is still there and the technology I still have sitting on my computer. Yeah. I've rewritten it a few times that way you can't sue me and be like, Oh, um, you're using the same thing. No, I've rewritten it a couple of times. Yeah. To improve the performance and do a couple of other things. 
but I don't want to um, disclose how I'm doing all that right now. Sure, yeah. But the AI content generation, one of the things that I, the, one of the reasons I got into the AI course was content generation, like actual artwork generation. Like GAN like a, type like stuff? Like GANs, GAEs. Okay. Variable autoencoders. Because, like, I can draw maybe five images a day in GIMP or something. Yeah. Versus creating a GAN that can generate an unlimited number of images. Yeah. And I can use them for my um, for video content. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, man. I'm excited to. Uh, I feel. I feel just humbled even hearing be, being in your presence here, man. This is inspiring. It's not. It's, <laughs> I mean, automation is the key. Yeah. I mean, so you have the server automation. That's done. You do Docker deployments. That's done. You have Kubernetes managing everything. That's done. I mean, yeah, everything's falling into place. Ju you mean just like the tech stacks that are at the our fingertips stack, today? Yeah. yeah. Man, when does somebody when does somebody introduce Kubernetes and Docker like into their workflows? Um, like I I've just been kind of dabbling with Docker, but. Um, I'm just like, like, you know, it, when it comes to self-education, these are decisions that can really impact you positively and negatively, depending on how, you know, what things you choose to work on to, to learn and the order that you introduce them. Docker, you want to introduce when you're about to scale. I mean, Docker is great for development yeah. because you have the, like, oh, it works in my machine problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about what um, dependencies do I have to rely on. Oh, Ubuntu 18.04 versus Docker 9 or versus Debian 9. Yeah. You know, versus Windows. I mean, Windows and Mac OS X, I don't like them with Docker because they use virtualization. Okay. And that's one of the reasons I stick with Linux, despite the lack of productivity. That's one of the reasons I want to use, create the open source speech recognition. Yeah. Um, but is it just I mean, slower? The virtual like why why are you? Virtualization is slower. Yes. Okay. Like when I was watching in the course, when I would watch people do things with Docker and with Windows subsystems for Linux, I'd be like, ugh. WSL? You don't hey, like it? I'm like, ugh, that's like a 10, 20% hit to performance. Really? Okay. Huh. And like, I grew up, my first computer was 25 megahertz with four megabytes of RAM. <laughs> um, the screen size was 320 by 240. In school, we had to do a hyperpart presentation on a Mac OS X. And I asked the teacher, can I just write a demo? Like, you know, demo competitions? Are you familiar with them? Huh. Back in the 90s, you would have graphical demo competitions 
the most famous one, most famous demo, if you search on YouTube, Second Reality by Future Crew. Okay. Um, I would just use that instead of HyperCard. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do a presentation that I code myself and just <laughs> do like wormhole type physics and it's a bunch of gaming stuff. Yeah. Dang, man. It, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. You're, you're, uh, they, they were, they were trying, they were trying to hold you back with their technology and their methods, man. <laughs> no, the OS, I mean, OS seven, OS eight, that was terrible. Hmm. Um, OS six. I don't even know what it was back then, but Mac OS, one of my friends, his mom was a teacher and he had a hundred megahertz computer and he wanted me to, and I was helping him learn to code. And he's like, yeah, I'll bring it in. I'll bring my computer in. And so one of my friends did the audio and I did the programming and we presented that as a group project. Crazy. Yeah, man. It's, it's just, it's just amazing, man. We, I, I, I just have to constantly remind myself of, uh, you know, how good we have it, I guess. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know what the old days used to be like, but everybody that, that tells me about these things, like on these podcasts and stuff is just like, it just sounds like we have it really good right now. So. Oh, we do. I mean, you have SSDs, we had IDE cables. I mean, everything it's so easy to put a computer together now versus back then. Okay. I mean, back then, when I, when I first started, I became paralyzed a week before my senior year okay. of high school. So I learned to program by typing with my hands. And one of my first job, job interviews after I became paralyzed, after I graduated high school, with a local military contractor and they're like hey come into a programming interview and i'm like can we do remote because i'm paralyzed from the neck down and they're like hey we'll get back with you on that and they never did really wow huh and i was like yeah you suck <laughs> yeah yeah that's man that's tough so um our are people pretty amicable for uh, your situ your situation, or is it is some that like a reoccurring some, theme? Some people will um, like. I had an interview with Apple recently. I, I suffered a um, a seizure in twenty seventeen, January thirty first, twenty seventeen. Twenty years at to the date after I became after I left the hospital. Oh, wow. From being paralyzed. Um, and I lost like a, a few months of memory. Um, and I didn't know Donald Trump was president. Oh, wow. Um, there was like, I had to learn that every day you do. Like, every day I went, I woke up for like four weeks. Everything was new. Like, oh, where am I? Whoa, that's intense. Um and so I had to teach myself to program again. But the interesting thing is with the neurons in your brain, it was the information was there. It was just the pathways to connect them was gone. Okay. So you just had to relearn the pathways and you're like so I would like open up a GoFor Colang program 
and I would be like, oh, yeah, this is familiar. This is, I understand this. Huh. So once you get back into it, it was okay. But I had the interview with Apple, with Golang, and after my um, sickness with Siraj, I hadn't really played with Golang. Yeah. And I did the interview with Apple, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I definitely screwed up on that interview. Hmm. You could have just maybe practiced more, or who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, pra- I mean, the interview was set up prior to me getting sick, and so yeah. I had totally forgotten about it until like two days beforehand. They're like, "Hey, do you want to do some Golang?" And I'm like, "I'm uh, sure. I'm." It's Apple. Yes, I'll try it out. Yeah. I mean, I've been focusing on Python and machine learning, but instead I switched to Go for a month to be like, okay, let me get my get my familiarity back. Yeah. Now that Go is has stabilized their package management, their module management, because that was definitely a big pain in the butt because you would have – are you familiar with Go at all? Uh, I I've never really messed around with it, but I know they have um, kind of a unique, like they have a lot of like, it's not like Python where it's a free for all with the packaging. Like it's, it's all, am I even explaining this right here? Carry on from here. <laughs> like okay, I know. Yeah. The package management is a free for all. You can install any package. Okay. GitHub. But let's say that you wanted to, you have one program that requires package ABC version 1.0 and another program that requires ABC version 2.0. Everything was, they had one go path and everything was stored there. So you'd only have one or the other. Okay. If you have to compile against 1.0 and compile against 2.0, you have to use Docker basically to, simulate a different go path hmm. um, they didn't have like PyN or virtual in or any of that like Python has okay um, now they do they've been working on it for the past 18 months and it's finally landed in the stable okay um, you see a bright future for that language or for certain aspects I do Okay. For my video building software, that's written in Golang. I may rewrite it in Python just to just test performance reasons. Okay. Like, which is faster? Because when you're generating 30,000 videos a day, you know, speed does matter. Yeah. Um, and I think Go definitely has a positive future. Okay. I enjoy writing in it. It's very old school. Okay. Um, I guess because it's not dynamic. It's a it's a statically typed language, which is what I was raised on in computers. Okay. So <laughs> for me, it's like very very familiar. Yeah. What, what would you say is kind of like the the reason you might choose to work with it versus? versus not like is there a certain type of project where it shines a little more or um docker images are very small okay um you can just basically give a doc like here 
Go allows you to compile a program, not have to worry about dependencies and just deploy it. Okay. Um, web servers are, it's bread and butter. Like Kubernetes is written in Go because it does a bunch of web service management. It has a built-in um, HTTP interfaces to allow you to easily create servers, to allow you to create microservices. Okay. Um, it's just a great all-around all language. And basically, if it compiles, it runs. Hmm. Um, which is nice. And it forces you to check your errors. Okay. So. And Docker is written in it, right? Correct. Docker was originally written in Python, but they transitioned to Go later on. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it has a bright future just right there because those are those technologies are becoming more and more embedded in a lot of people's processes now. So, yeah, Kubernetes I'm not really a big fan of because it requires so much overhead. I prefer K3s. What is that? It is a lightweight Kubernetes. Okay. So it require it has much lower overhead. Okay. Um, it lacks some of the features of K8 Kubernetes, but it's for me. I don't really need it. Yeah. Every everything that Kubernetes offers, and they keep adding new features and new features to it, and it's kind of plug and play. But it's like what you know for the base, the base Kubernetes install is kind of heavy. Okay. Memory-wise. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't messed around with that much. Um, I've read about it a little bit. It's It seems like, I guess unless you're running like an Instagram or something like that, um, you might not even really be able to leverage it for, for all that it, ha that it offers. Yeah. I mean, you can use AWS and not have to worry about Docker. Or Kubernetes, but oh yeah, what do they have? Uh, ECS or ECS? I think right. That's their yes. Mm -hmm. They have EC2 images, ECS, and a whole bunch of a whole bunch of acronyms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, that's uh, Go is I guess something that we should probably have on our radar. If you have uh, in, in your infinite spare time, check it out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Golang is great, just in general. But I mean, one of the, the main thing that makes it useful is it makes concurrency very easy. Okay. And it uses message passing, like Erlang. I don't know if you're familiar with Erlang. Or no, I'm not. Um, it basically powers all the telecommunications infrastructure around the world. Okay. And it's very reliable. Hmm. It has like nine nines of uptime. Okay. <laughs> As it should, I guess, because that's kind of a critical uh, component. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah, I learn every time I do one of these podcasts, man. I learn new things. There's there's too much to know, and uh, that's part of the fun of doing these interviews is just 
borrowing your brain for a little bit. And that's part of the benefit of being in this space for so long. Yeah. Is like, okay, yeah, I'm bored for a little while, but eventually something new is going to come along that's going to excite you. Yeah. Um, like Erlang is very tedious to write. And so now there's Elixir Lang. Elixir, which is, yeah. Which is, um, runs on the Erlang virtual machine, but is much easier to write. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I did a podcast with a guy, Nick Janitakis. He was talking about uh, Elixir being, it's, it's a language, right? Yes. And okay. it compi- compiles to the Elixir virtual machine. Kind of like okay. Java virtual machine. Yeah. Okay. So it's but, like Elixir, but Elixir has really lightweight processors, so you can scale to really quickly. Okay. Or really easily, like millions of millions of messages can be passed in like ten seconds at that. Okay. Wow. There's there's just so much to know in this space, man. But um, yeah, I'm glad we opened up that can of worms there. I was curious, uh, what role do you see AI playing in the future of, I know we kind of covered this a little, but maybe we can just state it for good. What role does AI play in the future of content creation, for example? Oh, God. There will be a, um, AI will supplant Netflix in my opinion. Okay. Because Netflix spends $10 million on content, you know, on a new series, whereas AI can just generate it. Hmm. You, if you have um, Google or Adobe or Amazon's cloud capacity, you can, I mean, where they don't even need to pay for the cloud, they can just generate thousands of hours of content. Um, like the 1,500 videos that I created in a few hours was 100 hours of content. Hmm. So, I mean, if you have AI powering everything, you can generate an unlimited amount of content for anybody. Yeah, but would it be like... Um, so there- some somehow it would have to be sophisticated enough where it was like a storyline or something like that, right? If it was entertainment based, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, you can. They have AIs that can do content or do conversation. They have conversational AI right okay. now. So I don't see movies being far off. I think they've actually done a movie with AI once as a proof of concept. Okay. I can't remember the name of it, but if you Google it, I'm sure you can find it. Yeah, it's on it's on the horizon for sure. Okay, well, I figured I'd just crack that open. And then when it comes to AI's role in uh, mental health, where do you kind of see what's on the horizon for us there? AI will be useful because um, there aren't enough psychologists, psychiatrists, out there where and they can't keep everything straight in their head who everybody is it's just I mean they can manage a caseload of 
you know, uh, maybe 50 patients at once because there's not enough time for them to see more. Mm. Whereas if we each have um, an AI psychologist, it can get to say attuned to us. Hmm. Or a psychiatrist or a doctor or anything. And since AI has that ability to be fine-tuned to individuals, I think it'll be really helpful. Educational-wise as well. Oh, just like custom learning plans and stuff like that? Yeah, like, okay, you're um, I don't know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. I imagine programming around what your weaknesses are. I mean, you, AI can generate a lesson plan specific to you and learn similar to the space repetition. Okay, how do I strengthen? How do I strengthen Stephen's education plan? How do I strengthen? Um, what is he weak in? Where is he weak? Where is he strong? Okay, that failed. Let me try something else. Yeah. And it can just manage everything. Hmm. Do you, man, that's, yeah, it's a, it's really thought provoking, I guess. Like if you're looking for places to innovate, I mean, all of this stuff that you've kind of mentioned is not off the table. Like there, I mean, I see teachers failing as a career. I see them more as managers in the future where students have this AI based learning environments. Yeah. It's individualized to them. Hmm. Man, that's, I mean, that's pretty awesome. I, I think that's pretty awesome. What about VR? What, what role does AI play in that? I guess education would be part of that too, or? AI would be useful for world building. Okay. Oh yeah. What do they call that? Procedural? Procedural content generation. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can use AI to generate like a Minecraft-like world uh -huh. where you can, um, like for my protein videos that I want to create, where you can just do a virtual tour of the protein interactions. Um, like here's how the SARS virus interacts with a human cell. Here's yeah. how the coronavirus interacts with with the human cell. Here's how it infects the lungs. Here's how it infects the internal tissue. Here's why it cannot penetrate skin. You know, that would be something you, that would be useful to pharmaceutical companies, I believe. Yeah. I guess, and like from a training standpoint, I guess is what you're talking about. From a training, and it's just as far as an education standpoint. Yeah. Like, okay, you're, you have kids, you want to explain to them, hey, you need to wash your hands. You have a VR showing like, okay, here are the germs that are growing in your skin. And it would make it, have you ever seen the movie, Cheese, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah. <laughs> something like that or something like Ant, I guess more recently, Ant-Man, when they went into this microverse. I, I haven't seen that yet. Um, you know, you could actually just look in your cells and see like, oh, here's how your heart beats. Here's how the um, 
interactions between two cells. Mm -hmm. how your brain functions. I mean, here's how the neural connections. Here's how the action potentials travel from a synapse to an axon. I mean... Hmm. It's yeah, it may it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we got to usher this stuff in and and uh, make it mainstream. I guess that's the big challenge. And here's how you bind a drug to a receptor. Yeah, you know, on a cell. And here's how. Say here's how HIV infects a cell. So how would I interfere with that? So it'll help drug development. Like VR, I think. But, because for me, I'm a visual learner. So if I can see something, I can figure out how to screw it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Test-driven development right there, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so it's like, okay, let me see. Let me add a little, um, add something here to block this protein so that it can't bind with this receptor. And then, okay, everything's good. Hmm. Yeah, it it's uh it's really it's really amazing, man. I'm I'm having uh I'm I'm feeling like a little um like I I it's it's hard to drive the conversation. This stuff is really kind of over my head actually. So I'm I'm thankful that you're sharing it with me. It's almost like I need to go listen to this again and go do some research or something. Well, like with spinal cord injury, one of the problems with spinal cord injury, I guess since I'm actually paralyzed yeah um are you familiar with the neurons and the glia in your in the uh -uh. central nervous system okay you have um motor neurons that are in your um cervical segment of your spinal cord that that exist from c3 through c5 and they power your diaphragm and a bunch of other things and they extend down all the way into your other parts of your body. And then you have motor neurons from T10 through, I think, L3 that um, allow you to walk. That's a locomotive pattern generator. And if you have, like, if I were able to train on a treadmill, my body could learn to walk again, even though my top half couldn't move. Granted, I'd fall over, but... Um, a body could do that. You're actually doing that in China. Um, hmm. I have no idea where I was going with this. <laughs> but it, um, your neurons, yeah, again, I'm, I have no idea where I was going with that. Well, I mean, it's, it's, an, interest, it's an interesting concept. Are you talking about like uh, the pathways are still there? Maybe the body forgot about it, but Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, with spinal cord injury, there is um, fibrous tissue innate. Your spinal cord has a protective um, coating around it so that nothing can invade it except for, you know, when you have certain diseases. When you have a spinal cord injury, generally it's a contusion injury. Like with me, my neck hit the, hit the ground. When I was ejected from a motor vehicle. Okay. And so it busted the, um, the protective blood-brain barrier that was protecting the spinal cord. 
And so it allowed a scar to form inside of it. And so the neurons or the axons that typically can regenerate, they continue, continuously try to regenerate, but they, um, they reach a protein that's like, yeah, you're not going nowhere. A fibrous protein that says, yeah, you can't grow here. And that's what stops them from growing. Hmm. And so being able to see, uh, having AI be able to generate drugs that can inactivate that fibrous tissue or can overpower the axons to where they can regrow would be awesome. Okay, because the... um like the, the, the body is like all the, all the um, biology is still functioning. It's just the, the scar tissue is basically, is that what I understand? It's known as a glial scar. It's not a fibrous scar tissue. Okay. There's a, there's a fine line. Um, but yeah, basically it's scar tissue. It, there's something, it's known as a glial scar, but it's not really a scar. Um, as in like a skin scar. Yeah. Um, but it's some sort of a barrier. Is it, it's a barrier that's preventing the axons from extending down and connecting to everything. And then there's also the motor neuron replacement that needs to take place for people from C3 to C5 and T10 through L3. Mm-hmm. So they have to figure out how to convert neural progenitor cells into, that, into the, each individual motor neuron. Hmm. And then transplant those, transplant those into humans. Hmm. But your, um, your locomotive pattern generator, which is from the T10 through L3 or L5, I can't remember for sure. Um, that is its own little neural network, and that's what allows you to walk. Because when you go to walk, you don't think like, oh, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. Mm-hmm. Your body, it's a neural network. It's its own little neural network that you've trained over time how to walk, how to stand up, how to sit down, hmm. how to run. Dang, it's just... Our our bodies are amazing, man. It's it's uh I'm I'm speechless. No, I mean it's when I became paralyzed, one of my first thoughts once my brain started actually working again was really biology, why couldn't this be a math problem? <laughs> yeah. But it's like a math problem I had to solve in like 10 minutes, but oh yeah. well. Yeah, the biology is like, uh, I guess there's just a, a lot of unknowns. Um, is, that, is that what you'd kind of chalk it up to? Like we're just still learning? There's we're, not a bunch of unknowns. There mm-hmm. are a lot of knowns that will work. There is a lack of funding um, to run the trials. It's very expensive Okay. for people to run the trials and people to pay for the insurance, pay for the hospitalization, 
Like if I if I went into a surgery for um, say twenty people to be tested for um, for for a treatment to be tested for spinal cord injury would be about twenty five million dollars. Holy cow! And so it's just cost prohibitive. Correct. Correct. Dang. Dang, man, that's intense. Um, well, actually, on that topic, so we're talking about uh, uh, money, I guess. And I was curious, um, may, just like some lessons around the, uh, the getting of money, I guess, from, from your perspective. And I was wondering, when it comes to um, machine learning model creation, because I know that's a passion spot for you, um, what are your top three tips for making money with that skill? Um, I mean, top three tips are content generation, content generation, content generation. <laughs> I mean, it's... That's what it's all about, huh? That's what people want to see is content. Yeah. Um, or if you're looking for um, medical active, medical use for it then learn to diagnose people learn based on symptoms it's indirect because it's not direct you're not learning directly from the proteins you're learning from the symptoms so it's not going to be 100% perfect and you have to understand that yeah you're not going to achieve you know MNIST level classification if you're if you're basing it on symptoms because that is secondhand information yeah, that's that's incomplete information. But um, I think medically that is very useful. Proteins, content creation would be another one. Um, education, because you have individualized plans. Those are would be individual individualized lesson plans. Yeah, those those are my three sweet spots that I'm looking for machine learning for. Yeah, and it's it sounds like there's a lot of room for innovation. So it, there's room for you and other people to get into that space. Or how do you feel about that? There's room for a lot of people to get into the space. Like in the beginning, there was AltaVista and Excite and Yahoo, and then Google showed up. Oh, yeah, everybody else goes, goes bye-bye. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be something like that. I mean, there will be a lot of small players, and then there will be this big somebody that changes everything. Yeah. I don't want to say Monopoly, but it's like Amazon. And somebody will, there will be a thing, a list of thing companies in the biomedical space and the AI space. And yeah. then Google or Facebook probably buy them up. But hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, so if you had to start from scratch with your tech skills, why is project planning one of the first steps that you would take in order to become profitable in the next six months? Because you have to know what the next step is and not waste three hours like 
okay, I have this done. What do I do next? Yeah. Because you can waste a lot of time just trying to figure out, okay, how does all this fit together? Whereas if you plan that out in the beginning, you can just run. Yeah. Just like, okay, do A, B, C, D, F, G, Mm -hmm. and get to the end point. So what if what if people don't have that intuition? Like what, what are some tools, I guess, that you would recommend for getting that intuition on project, like how to do a, how to plan efficiently, I guess. Start with simple projects. Do like a one week project, maybe even like a three day project and then just build out. Okay. I can plan for a three day project. I can plan for, or a weekend project. You know, you're, when you're um, when you get home from work on a Friday, plan out. Okay, what will my weekend project look like? And then um, once you can consistently get that working and have everything planned up front or as much planned as you can, then you'll be able to see like further further into the future prior to getting started with something. Mm-hmm. Like me, I'm able to see like. Okay, the content generation, in order to have the content generation, I need the AI to create visual content since I'm creating videos. Um, And so I need to take a step back from the video, promoting my video content until I actually actually have art content that I don't have to pay for. Mm Mm-hmm. What, what about like documenting, documenting, because I guess, or is like, if you're going through this process where you're starting out slow on these small projects, kind of ramping up, um, like you were kind of saying yourself with the psychologists, like they can only manage 50 people. Like, is there some sort of strategy when it comes to documenting that way you can kind of, um, knowing that your brain kind of has this capacity issue, I guess, with learning new things do you have any recommendations on on how to go about the documentation piece i guess um the feynman lectures would be feynman f-e-y-n-a f-e-y-n-m-a-n he has a feynman method there's a he has a method for learning things that's really useful um but I would say just write everything down on one page and make, make sure to constrain it to one page. Okay. Um, I use org mode and Emacs inside of Emacs to plan everything. I have, you know, here's a header. Underneath that, here's what's needed. Underneath that, the next one, here's what's needed. And that's how I do my planning. Okay. Um, but everybody's going to need something different. Like for you, you may use um, Habitica, that website, HabitRBT. You may use Todoist. You may use I mean, whatever you're comfortable with. You just have to learn what works for you. I don't really know a specific methodology or a book to recommend, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I'm sure there are some, 
search Amazon, the whatever they recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvard Business Review has a bunch of good book recommendations. HBR.org, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I figured I'd just pr- pry a little bit. Like if you had, but I think you've delivered some insight on that. I mean, between the Fenman... Feynman lectures and the Harvard Business Review and and whatnot, and ultimately figuring it out for yourself. It's just a trial and error thing. Yeah, it's um, all trial and error. It's what works for you. Yeah, but just Your be patient with yourself, I guess. And try try not to be too hard on yourself. Like, yeah, okay, that's yeah, that failed. That failed. Okay, you go on to the next thing. Yeah. Like when I forgot uh, when I when I screwed up in my Apple interview. Okay, I screwed up. Okay, move on. Yeah. No, that's a good, I think that's a really good outlook to have for sure. Um, Okay, so I had another question here. Uh, So what are some areas you see the world education system needs to have uh, improved? I I know we talked about the uh, personalized learning plans. Is there some other kind of area in the world education system? I think each, um, I like the diversity of each country. I think the diversity needs to stay like each country has its own perspective. Yeah. I don't really see, I think a personalized education system, like around math, around science, I think all of that should be standardized around the world. Um, But I don't really, I think the education system should be focused around the, um, oh God, I've mentioned so many things today, I forget. <laughs> um, the spaced repetition technique. Yeah. I think that should be implemented more more widely so that people can learn things more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be a huge productivity booster. Yeah. I think um, if in the education system, if the, if the program that you're using, like what I want to do, create a system that you can use on your smartphone, since all kids in middle school and high school have smartphones these days, mm-hmm. um, you cannot use your smartphone unless you study. Your phone is locked down, except for these emergency contacts. Like some sort of like tokenized, like you have to earn your tokens to turn. <laughs> like, yeah, basically that... <laughs> you, um, okay, study and you get 30 minutes of your phone. Right. So, okay, you, you've done well. Study, here's 30 minutes of your, here's two hours of your, you burn two hours of phone time. Yeah. And, um, huh, that's cool. I think like Samsung and a bunch of these other phone manufacturers would be like, okay, here are some of our refurbished phones donated to school districts and, um, local businesses could say, hi, you've done well. You've earned a free McDonald's. You've earned a free burger at McDonald's. 
you know, use it for, and that money could be used to kick back the money to the school, local school districts. And that will lead to, unfortunately, bigger schools getting more money than local schools. But it should be customized where the government is not required to fund schools and the schools are not dependent on the government. Yeah. Because you have like um, a thousand students in some school districts where where the government or the local economy can't support that many students so the school system fails. Whereas if you had something like this, you have a thousand students, then you're generating income and you're supporting the local economy. It's a cool concept, man. And maybe you're kind of touching on, because I know in the pre-interview you were mentioned something about uh, making public education self-sustainable. Is that kind of what you're alluding to right yeah, here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking to right there right now. Yeah. Basically, the local economy is saying, here, come in and you get a free burger. Get a free burger. Who wants just a free burger? You want fries with it? You want a drink with it? Right, yeah. So... You know, hey, you made an A on this semester. Good job. Here's five dollars off of. You know, um, I know here's here's an arcade. Come play the game. Yeah. I don't know what national arcades exist nowadays. Dude, I just a just a random the city that I live in, Farmington, New Mexico. Dude, uh, it's weird, man. We have one of those here, and we have like a thriving bowling alley, just like some, some things that just don't, it's a, they're still out there. We have, we have like a blockbuster video knockoff. That's like alive and well, it's, <laughs> I will tell you one of the things that I missed about not being able to move is bowling. Okay. Yeah. Bowling and basketball. Bowling and basketball. Dang, man. I, I hope they figure out some innovative techniques to put people like you back on their feet, man. Yeah, and my arms are moving too. Yeah, all, all uh, extremities. Yes. Um, I think that will happen. And eventually, I think people will be able to live forever. So that's the whole transhumanist aspect. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about it. Transplanting the brain? No, not transplanting the brain, keeping your body alive. Oh, like, oh, just living to 500 or more? A thousand. Yeah. So I expect to live to be at least 400 years old. So honestly, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm 40 years old now. I'm not too concerned. I have a lot of work to do ahead of me. Yeah. In order to get this working, but... AI will definitely play a big role in that. Yeah, dang man, that's just crazy. I I didn't I didn't know that I was going to be exploring this at uh you know ten o'clock in the morning uh, today. But this is a this has been a really cool conversation, man. Thanks for kind of sharing your insight on all this stuff. Um, yeah. So just kind of like some closing topics here. I was curious, like without thinking too hard about it, just like the first thing that comes to mind. What is like the best advice you've ever received? 
keep moving forward no matter what. I mean, I don't know that I've received it, but I've read it in books. Yeah. It's like, don't give up. I love it. Okay, you're paralyzed. Okay. What's next? Yeah. So yeah, you, you see this right here? Uh, it says good. Good. That's what I thought it said. I'm like. Yeah, my handwriting is uh, trash, but uh, it says good, I promise. My handwriting sucks too, believe me. <laughs> yeah. um, this, this is a Jocko Whaling thing. He, uh, he's like, oh, you, uh, you know, something bad happened to you today? Good. Like, this is his immediate reaction to everything. Yeah, I found, the day I found out that I was paralyzed, because there was a good three months that I was like, I was in a coma and then my brain didn't really work for a little while. Yeah. And then I remember my physical therapist came in there and I had a halo one, which is the thing that was screwed into your head. Keep your body from moving. Yeah. And she's, I was like, when am I going to be able to move again? And she's like, you're never going to move again. Wow. I was like, oh. So that was a rough day. Yeah. And then, so the next day, I'm like, okay, what's next? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's my take on life. Okay, a, what's next? It's amazing, man, because literally, like, fast forward uh, a few years, you're, for example, the the uh, t like the teaching assistant for this machine learning program, like you're like you've really done you've made some like awesome accomplishments. I mean, I, I, I don't know all, all that you've, uh, you know, contributed to the world, but just that small experience that I had with you, like, I think that's freaking amazing, man, that you're, you know, some people would, uh, kind of argue you're in a tricky spot, but you're throwing down harder than some people that have like all their, you know, moving body parts. And, and, um, it's crazy, man. I, I freaking appreciate you. Well, and all the help. Yeah, all as the help. As, as a personal um, curiosity, did you have, like, when I was in there chatting with everybody, did you have any idea there was anything wrong with me? No, man. I was, I was just like, this guy's probably busy as hell, like, answering all these people's questions and stuff, you know? But, like, oh, I was busy, believe me. Yeah, I, I believe it. But, no, I mean, I felt like the advice was spot on, like, um, you, you had like a really positive energy behind you. You were at the time, I think you were talking about doing like a startup a week or something crazy like that. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was like, how does this guy have time for all this stuff? It's all automation. Yeah. Yeah. That's dang. Automation is like Ansible automates the server management. Um, the AI automates everything else. Yeah. Once you buy enough servers, you're good. Yeah, that's legit, man. Dang. So, uh, okay, a couple uh, last closing questions here, I guess. What is the most important book that we should read in, in 2020, we th you think? I honestly have no idea. I would say um, Getting Things Done was a book that helped me. Getting Things Done? But it, it is dated because it's like, use index cards. And I'm like, I don't use index cards. 
Yeah. Um, that was a helpful book. Um, the most important thing in 2020 is know that the world is going to change. Kids like my nephew, he's in elementary school. What he's learning now is not even going to be relevant in 15 years. <laughs> God. I'm like, why are you even? I, mean, I don't say this to him, but yeah, like, yeah, go on, keep. Go ahead. Yeah, the math is good. Algebra is good. That's, you know, learn, learn everything you can. But the world is going to change. It's going to be, it's like the world pre-internet versus post-internet. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big change, man. I mean, not, oh, go ahead. Pre-broadband versus post-broadband. Right. Pre-internet versus post-internet was big change but not as big as broadband yeah yeah that's amazing too do you think um do you think blockchain is like an eye roller or like a game changer uh that gets into one of my um sweet spots my first one of my personal goals in life is to break um the rsa algorithm which I believe is possible. Um, and so blockchain is a game changer until privacy is broken. Yeah. And then it's going to be, it's, that's going to be a huge disruption. Hmm. Um, and I have no idea what's going to come after that. But you're pretty certain that it will eventually happen. It's just a matter of time. Yes, because I have, like, if I could use my hands, I have a chunk board in my wall with an algorithm written out that if I could play with using my hands, I believe I could solve factoring large numbers in a few seconds. And that's what internet security, RSA, HTTPS, all that is based on. Yeah. Private keys. Hmm. Public keys. Um, and it's actually very simple. It's a very simple algorithm. You would like to know it. I mean, spill the beans, if you will. Um. Do you, are you familiar with the algorithm at all? Uh, not, with, not. I haven't. RSA. Yeah, RSA is kind of like the like when you do, when you generate an SSH key, you get to choose one of the algorithms, and that's like the like the 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 algorithm that's kind of like if you don't specify one, it's RSA, right? Basically, it's um, you have two large prime numbers, okay, or pseudo prime numbers, you multiply them together, and you. Yeah, call them P and Q, multiply them together, and you get an R. Okay, and R is this is the seed that they use to encrypt everything. In order to decrypt it, you have to know the key, or you have to know what P and Q are. And since P and Q are, you know, two thousand bit numbers, those are kind of hard to guess. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But if you can take the, so you know R, R can be public. That's your public key. I mean, it's not perfect a, a example, but if you know R and you can factor R, then security is broken. So you, if you take the square root of R and then you take the factorial of that, you can use the greatest common divisor between the factorial and R. And that gives you P for the prime. And then you divide R, R by P, that gives you Q and security is broken. Hmm. Factorial is um, the tricky part. We need a logarithmic algorithm for computing the factorial of a large n, a large number n. Hmm. And that's what I'm trying to work on. That's, that's the special sauce. Yeah. Dang, man. Yeah, I, I guess it's... Uh... It's it's just good to know, uh, like getting back to what you're saying, like things will change. So just uh, proceed accordingly. I was bored in ninth grade, so I just... Say that again? I was bored in ninth grade algebra too. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, okay, what am I going to do? And this is when I figure all this out. Yeah. I've been working on this since 1994. Huh. Man, I... I say uh, just get your ducks in order and, and publish it and make your, uh, make your fat stacks and, and um, your, get your financial independence. Once I get financial independence, I'm going to pay one of my friends from school. We're going to just like sit back for like three months and he's going to be, and we're going to work together and try to solve it. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. I mean, yeah, break break the internet. Just promise that you'll come up with a solution after you break it. I want to. Why? Why? So why do we need a solution? Yeah, I mean, security is cool, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, imagine being able to just break into, go to the NSA's website and just be able to read everything. Sounds like trouble. That sounds like trouble. <laughs> Yeah, so promise that you'll fix it once you break it, okay? <laughs> there is no fixing it once you break it. Oh, there's no, like, we're just too ingrained, we're too dependent on that well, there's, security? There's quantum entanglement. The quantum entanglement will be figured out eventually. Um, okay. And then breaking that will be fun. Quantum entanglement? Yes, that's how they're going. Um, their next... Quantum entanglement for encryption is the next um, step. Okay. But eventually that will be broken. Hmm. Yeah, it's... Quantum encryption is what it's actually called, I think. Okay. Man, I, that was not on my radar, but that's a cool, uh, cool thing to have in your back pocket, I guess, if you want to, if you want to nerd out in that department. Yeah, I've been a huge nerd my whole life. So. <laughs> oh man, that's now that's cool, man. Good for you. Uh, let's see here. Oh, regarding the in interview and everything that we've talked about, we've done all kinds of topics today. What is the message that you want to leave people with today? Never stop learning. You will never be smart enough to know everything. 
And so just accept that fact and enjoy learning. I mean, that was one of my goals in life was to know everything and accepting that I'm not going to know everything is nice. Takes the weight off. Yeah. Find a focus and try to improve the world. Figure out how you can do that. I love it, man. No, that's that's awesome. I this has been uh, just a fantastic experience, man. Thanks for hanging out with me, sharing all your knowledge. Uh, where where can people? Where's the best place for them to connect with you? On LinkedIn or GitHub or Twitter. GitHub or Twitter. Okay, excellent. Yes, Stephen with a V, S T E P H E N with a V. Yep, is my GitHub, or Stephen with a V. V E because somebody else already had Stephen with a V on Twitter. <laughs> um, cool. Would be the best places to interact with me. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure those are in the show notes. And um, I guess with that, I think we did a good job today. We didn't leave anything off the table, did we? Um, I'm sure we did, but next time. So yeah, we'll get, we'll get it next time. Well, cool, man, Steven, this has been great. Thanks so much for hanging out. And uh, I guess we'll just, we'll catch you folks soon. All right. All right. Thanks so much for this experience. Yep. You got it, man. Peace. All right. Bye.